Welcome to Secret Lives of Expanders. This is where you get to meet and learn from those who have done things outside the box. The idea is to introduce you to entrepreneurs, creators, and healers who have done really wild things. And this episode features none other than our very own Dr. John Demartini. He's an author, he's an international speaker, and he's very famous for his breakthrough experience events uh, in which he legit changes people's lives. And I know because I have heard so many success stories. In this episode, he shared the journey that he took one of his clients who was financially feeling stuck all the way to an $18 million business and on his way to more. We happened to talk a lot about financial freedom and we touched on why so many people want financial freedom, they want abundance, they want this and that and the other. But since it's not their highest value, even though they keep saying that that's what they want and that's what they put out there, they constantly struggle to get to it. And if you're an Elevate Club, if you're not, you should join. But if you're an Elevate Club, I have shared the steps that I have taken myself personally from burning out in my practice, feeling stuck, even though it was your definition of success, all the way to building a part-time million dollar cash practice that gave me so much freedom. And of course, now being able to put all of those things into my life and create a juicy life and business. And I tell you, a lot of it had to do with shifting my value systems, which is what Dr. John Demartini teaches. And of course, if you want to learn more about Elevate, you can join Elevate Club. The link is in here somewhere where I share all the different ways you can transform your life through your values, your identity, and of course, through your vision. We're really big on vision. Uh, this episode, I personally had so many aha moments. This session is filled with wisdom and I know you are going to love it. So make sure you subscribe, leave a comment and uh, tune in to the next episode as well. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Secret Lives of Expanders. Today, I am super excited because I have one of my favorite people uh, that I've kind of been following around for probably the past 17, 18 years. Uh, many of you know him. If you don't, you've got to, and today will be a great introduction. Dr. John Demartini, um, he is a human behavior expert. And uh, he's written many books. Uh, he His highest value is teaching and learning, which I love because those are some of my highest values. Uh, he's an internationally published author, global educator, and the founder of the Martini Method, a revolutionary tool in modern psychology. And uh, he does all kinds of things. He's famous for his breakthrough experience, in my opinion. That's what I keep hearing about everybody. I haven't gone yet, but plan to do. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for giving me this time and being on this call with me. Thank you for having me. <laughs> we, we go back, I, I, as we just said, about 17, 18 years. So, and we have background, we're chiropractors. And so it's, we got something common. 
<laughs> That's right. Yes. I was just sharing uh, with Dr. Martini that 17, 18 years ago, my boyfriend at the time and I attended a lecture. It was my first time. He'd been following your work for a while uh, and continues to do so. And uh, we sat through that lecture together. Fast forward 17 years later, we got back together, just kind of how life works. And one of the first things we did in our relationship as we were kind of developing this new relationship, we uh, took the value system quiz, which is on your website. I highly recommend. And we, I'm happy to say we matched up. (laughs) Well, you have something that you can communicate with. That's fantastic. That's right. That's right. So um, speaking of that, I I feel for me personally, and a lot of people that I have uh, spoken with about your work, um, a lot of what you do, obviously, uh, the basics of it is you figure out what your value system is, and you will follow through with that. So you don't, you don't have to force anything to happen. Like you, for me, I love to read. I love to share what I learned. So I don't have to have discipline around doing that. I love to have great conversations with great leaders and, and uh, you know, provoking conversations. And so this doesn't feel like work to me. I don't need discipline for this. But I do think that a lot of your work uh, comes in handy in relationships, whether it's your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your significant other, with your children, with just other people in general. Um, one, do you feel that that's the case? That's where you make the most amount of impact. And two, how did you come up with all of that? How did you come up with a breakthrough experience? Did something happen? What was the journey like? Oh, God, that's a big one. Um, well, first, let me address, I think you mentioned about relationships. Every human being lives, regardless of their gender spectrum, their culture, their age, they live moment by moment by a set of priorities, a set of values, things that are most to least important in their life. Mm -hmm. And in this hierarchy of values that they hold, this hierarchy of values dictates how they perceive, decide, and act, which is the only three things we really have control over in life, our perception, decisions, and actions. Our identity revolves around what we value most. So I value teaching, so I'm a teacher. Some people value raising beautiful children and their mother. Some people are entrepreneurs, run businesses. But each individual, their identity, their ontological identity revolve around what they value most. And as you go up the list of values, you become more intrinsically inspired spontaneously from within to act upon and fulfill them. But as you go down the list of values, you require extrinsic motivation, reminding, and incentives to get you to do them. Almost everybody can relate to this when they think of a young boy who loves video games. You know, you don't have somebody, you don't have a mom say, now, Johnny, stop doing your homework and your chores and go do your video games. (laughs) You don't hear that. But you do hear, stop doing your video games and go do your chores. So she will end up the mother will tend to have to reward him with, if you do your chores, you can play your videos or punish him. If you don't do your chores, you can't play your video games. So you need extrinsic motivation, reward and punishment for things low on your values, but things that are high in your values, you spontaneously are inspired from within. Now, when it comes to relationships, everybody's identity revolves around what they value most. And if you don't know your relationship partner or your child or your person at work that you interact with, 
if you don't know what their highest values are, you're going to have a probably miscommunications because you're going to tend to project your values onto them and expect them to live in what you think should be important. But in reality, they live according to their own. Nobody lives in your values. And if you try to get them to live in your values, you have futility. Mm. And and you're going to think you're being betrayed, but you're not. They're actually just giving you feedback to let you know that that's not who their values are. That's not who they are. Mm -hmm. But caring enough about another human being to find out what they value most and then caring enough to yourself to articulate what is important to you and what's meaningful to you in terms of what's important to them and meaningful to them is wisdom. And caring enough to do that is respectful. When you look down on people, you're careless. You exaggerate how important your values are self-righteously and project onto them and expect them to live in your values and get betrayed. Mm-hmm. Or when you're minimizing yourself and looking up to them, you sacrifice your values for them, which eventually makes you not want to be with them. But yeah. when you see something from a balanced perspective and honor people as a reflection of yourself and care enough respectfully to communicate what you value in terms of what they value, you have a sustainable relationship. And whether that be in business or your children or employees or whoever, that enhances the productivity and functions of everybody. Okay. Now, I know I did ask a question and we'll come back to that one in a second because I have questions on what you just said. So what if someone, you know, there's, I feel like a lot of people have this uh, desire that they feel like they're either born with or this desire that they've, that they've developed over time of wanting, right? Like, so some, for some people, it's like, I want a six pack. For some people, it's like, I want millions of dollars in my bank account. I want a certain kind of lifestyle. I want a passionate, sexy marriage or something like that. And if they if, if it seems like that I mean, how is there some kind of a how do you figure, okay, this is my value and this is easy and it comes to me easily? These are the things I do versus the thing that I actually want in my life, but I feel like I'm struggling to get there or it feels like it's like pushing the boulder up the hill. Like how does that integrate yeah. with what you teach? Anytime you expect yourself to live outside your own hierarchy of values, you're going to self-depreciate. Okay. Anytime you expect to do something that's not really important to you, but you think it is, you're going to beat yourself up Mm because you're not going to do it. Every week, (laughs) I teach programs every week, and every week I get people saying, well, you know, I I really want to do this. I go, if you did, you would. Uh (laughs) Wake up. Let me me do an example. I was speaking at a success summit. They called it that. About 5,000 people in Johannesburg. Uh, a number of years ago. And I stood up on the stage. I was the first speaker. I opened up the, the, the conference. And uh, I said, how many of you want to be financially independent? Everybody put their hand up. About a third of them put both hands up. And about another 10% put their foot and hands up. Yeah, they all put, they put everything up. Okay, and usually the more they emphasize it, the more delusional they were. But I said, uh, okay. And I said, now, now we've got that clear. And 100% of you got your hands up here. How many of you have financial independent where your passive income is exceeding your active income right now? And you don't have to work. You work only because you love to. Right. Seven right. people out of 5,000. Seven yeah. out of 5,000 people. Yeah. I said, isn't it interesting that every one of you say you want to do it, but only seven of you in this room are doing it? Mm. Now, I'm going I'm to throw a quiz at you here. Yeah. Get a piece of paper out and get ready to write. And I'm going to give you 10 million U.S. dollars. Okay. Imagine you just received 10 million U.S. dollars, literally greenbacks, 
stacked up on a pallet. And you don't, you have enough money now where you don't have to work if you don't want to. Got 10 million. It's enough to just, you can at least survive on that. I said, you got $10 million now. You have, you have 60 seconds to tell me what you're going to do with it. Okay. And I said, 60 seconds on your mark. You're going to write the 10 things you're going to do with this $10 million. From the moment you receive it, you got 60 seconds to decide what are you going to do with this money when you get it. On your mark, I said, go. And they're quickly writing down the 10 things they would do in 60 seconds. Time's up. 60 seconds up. Stop. Hand your piece of paper to the person next to you. And calculate how much of that money is still now an asset that's now making money. Mm. And between 20 and 80% of the $10 million, 20 to 80% was spent on consumables that depreciated in value within 60 seconds. That means that what they say they want, financial independence, and what they actually want, lifestyle, the rich and famous. Yeah consumable items, fancy clothes, fancy cars, fancy yachts, fancy this, fancy travels, fancy this. As long as they have a higher value on buying consumables that depreciate in value and liabilities, instead of assets that go up in value, they keep building more wealth, they are not going to be financially independent. The probability is very low. And everybody stopped. And they go, so what you say you want and what you actually want are not the same. So the first thing is to get clearer and truthful about what your life demonstrates by doing the value determination. And then anytime you set a goal that doesn't match that, you're going to end up having self-depreciating feelings unless you do two things. And there's only two ways to have fulfillment. Either set goals that are con- that are congruent with what you value mm-hmm. and don't lie to yourself and don't compare yourself to other people and inject the values of others into your life and try to be somebody you're not and envy and imitate. Mm-hmm. Or change your values to match your goals. I teach people both ways. You can change the values by stacking up new associations in the brain and modify the value structure. Because if you say you want to be wealthy, unless you have a greater value on buying assets and putting money into it and serving people and generating income, unless those are higher on your value than the nice clothes and the nice shoes and the nice travels and the nice dinners and nice things, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get wealthy. You're going to keep having a nice lifestyle And having money, you're going to have to be working for money all your life as a slave instead of having money work for you. Okay. So I love that because that was the missing piece for me. I was like, okay, well, how do you, what if you want a different kind of value? I deal with people all the time that are like, this is what I want, but that's not who they are. And for as long as, you know, in my my world, I call it, you're not going to attract who you are not. You're going to torching your life. Depression is a comparison of your current reality to a fantasy you're addicted to. And you get addicted to fantasies. Because we envy other people and imitate other people and try to be somebody that we're not. Mm-hmm. Einstein said, if you're a cat trying to swim like a fish, you're going to beat yourself up. You're going to torture your life. You're going to be depressed because you're expecting to do something you're not designed to do. So is that what the breakthrough experience is about? As in you go and you walk out with a, with a different set of value systems? That no, you- not necessarily. The breakthrough experience is way more encompassing than that one little topic. But sure. but. That's where there's two things that I teach there. Well, there's 50 things that I teach there, but two of them are how to determine your values and how to set goals that are congruent with it and stop putting fantasies in your life Mm -hmm. or how to redo the values to, if you say you want to be wealthy, great. I can show you how to do that, but we have to shift the values to make it happen because unless you have the more advantages of buying assets than liabilities, it's not going to happen. 
be financially independent. I would assume it's so much easier to determine your values and live your life according to those values and surround yourself, especially in your intimate relationships with people who have the same values versus trying to shift into, because I see so many people try to do this, try to shift into a whole new set of value system that you think you want. You, 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 the question is, what are you willing to give up to have it? Got it. Because if you say you want to be able to do financial independence, then are you willing to sacrifice immediate gratification for long-term vision? Right. Are you willing to say no to opportunities that want to get your, your cash? Are you, are you willing to defer gratification, in other words? And are you willing to invest and learn about the probabilities and mathematics of investing? If you're not willing to do that, then that's delusional. And, right. and I see this all the time. I have people, I have, I have people come in and say, well, I want to have a, a, a relationship. And I go, no, you don't. (laughs) Your life demonstrates that you are a woman that is demonstrating entrepreneurial spirit. You don't want to depend on a guy. You are more masculine than some guys are. You're going to castrate some of them. And you're saying that. And and right now, if I told you, you got a guy in your life, what would be the drawback? And you immediately go, oh, my God, I wouldn't have time for him because I'm too busy building my business. And so what you say and what your life is demonstrating, I don't go by what you say. I go by what your life demonstrates. Your life reveals what's truly important to you. Your words are just trivial many times. A lot of people, when they're congruent, you're empowered. When they're not congruent, you're frustrated. And you deserve to be frustrated. You're designed to be frustrated because it's an incongruency with who you are. And anytime you set inauthentic objectives, you're going to end up beating yourself up. Mm. So the contrast in the frustration or wherever you're stuck, that contrast is good because it teaches you where to go, where to look, and then where to go. It'll look at your illusions too. Yeah, look at <laughs> a lot of people have illusions about. I mean, I'm amazed at how many people say they want to be financially independent, and less than one percent make it. You know, that's, I, I, yeah, that's less than one percent, and the reason being is because they have a fantasy of a lifestyle of the rich and famous. They, they, but you know, most of the celebrities I've, I've worked with over 150 celebrities. Most of those celebrities have financial problems. <laughs> they just look good because they overspend. <laughs> there right. aren't that many of them. So, so their va- their highest value must be I don't know fame, <laughs> being- fame and fortune and showing people this and then. I mean, Nicolas Cage had $150 million and wiped it all out. And now is just rebuilding again because he he lived beyond his means. Yeah. And if you go and go, oh, I want to be like them. Well, you're going to be in debt like them. Come on, get real. Or, you know, if you're not willing to serve vast numbers of people, don't expect vast fortunes. Mm. You, you know, it, it's if because it, money comes from serving people. Totally. And if you don't have a work ethic and you don't have a service ethic and you don't have a desire to go and provide some value to somebody, Unless you marry into wealth, it's not likely to occur. And even if you're married into wealth, you got to be able to provide for that customer, that one customer, <laughs> and That's be able to right. be able to meet that individual's needs to be able to get the cash out of them. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, well, that's that's really cool. So th- this concept is actually something, I mean, like in the self-help world, there there's so much that gets repackaged and repeated all like all the time. However, what you teach is really, like, to me, it feels really authentic. It feels like you developed it. Uh, I don't know your story. I don't know your journey of how you came up with it. Would you mind sharing, like, how did you come up with the the, the concepts and the well, process? Yeah, I, I started at age 17. I started on, on a dream. I was I was living in Hawaii. I had long hair and a beard. And I was a hippie super. <laughs> <laughs> and I... Uh, 
nearly died at the time. And I was recovering from a really close rush, you might say. Mm -hmm. And uh, I met this guy named Paul C. Bragg, who inspired me one night at a yoga class. And he, I, I got inspired to be able to help me overcome my learning problems. I had learning challenges. I was a street kid as a kid and a surfer lived in a tent at the time. And uh, I had a dream of, of becoming intelligent, learning how to read and speak and because I had speech impediment. And that was my dream at the time. And I started on a journey starting at age 17. I'm 69 almost. So I've been doing this 50, almost 51 years. Mm -hmm. And it and it's, goes by like that. But I, I've had a, been a dream to uh, and been on a dream for all these years to teach and to learn anything to do with maximizing human awareness potential and heal. That's why I became a carpenter, to be involved in healing philosophy. But I found out that many people around age 23, that many people were not walking their talk. And I thought, well, why is it somebody says they're going to do something and then they don't do it? You know, and, and why would I say, because I found myself doing that, saying something, they're not doing it. Why? What makes us do that? And that's what led to values. Age 23, I started studying. So it's 45 years of studying values and value determinations. And I was never satisfied with the value determination systems I saw out there because it was social idealism, moral hypocrisies, shoulds and ought tos and how you're supposed to live. Right. None of that means anything in values. What means is what is your life demonstrating? Because <laughs> you can tell me, I mean, people will tell me I, should, I, I really ought to be doing this, but I don't do that. Well, I'm not interested about how you ought to be. Nietzsche mm -hmm. said it's about ordered is. <laughs> How are you actually living? Mm -hmm. So I had to develop a method to develop something that would be objective, to narrow it down to look at what people actually do, not what they fantasize, not what they think it should be or hope it will be. But what exactly is it? And start there. Mm -hmm. We can modify it by changing values because I can make I can I can get somebody who has never made money in their life. And I can sit down with them in an amount of hours and I can start showing them how to redo their thinking process with their values, stacking up new associations in the brain and neuroplastic altering their brain. And, and all of a sudden they see opportunities and they start taking actions that are different and they start making money. Mm -hmm. So that's totally doable, but it's not going to do it by just going, well, I'm now going to make money. It, it, it takes a reassociations in the brain because you've got all these associations from childhood about money. And unless some of those are awakened and become cognizant and then revamped, you're going to keep doing the same thing, expecting different results. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes blind to it. Oftentimes like taking yeah, most people are. Have no idea that you're doing a certain thing. Yeah. I had a woman, let me give you an example. Yeah. A woman that was, uh, who, when I first met her, she was very thin, mm -hmm. quite attractive mm -hmm. and was going to law school. She graduated from law school got into practice. When she got into practice, her clients were dismissing themselves shortly into starting a new client within 10 days or so, they'd be disappearing. And she couldn't figure out what it was. And she finally asked the clients and most of them were males. Okay. She says most of the male clients said, well, when I, when, when the, my wife or my girlfriend said, who, who's this new lawyer? It's a female. Mm -hmm. And then they would have to show a picture. The girls would demand a picture. And the second they would do, the guys were told, you can't have that lawyer. Gosh. And so what she did is she ended up growing, cutting her hair, putting on glasses, gaining 40 pounds in order to maintain her clients. And it was amazing. It was an unconscious strategy to gain weight, to make herself frumpy, to make sure that she didn't lose clients so she could build her business. Mm. 
So we end up sitting down and, and, and all of a sudden I'm going, whoa, she gained all this weight. That's like a different lady. When I saw her the next time with short hair, it's like she made herself almost unattractive. But not that short hair is not attractive. It's just that compared to where she was, yeah. she made herself non-sexual appearing. Mm-hmm. So I said, let's find a viable alternative way of getting that same effect without having to destroy your physical looks and stuff. And we found out that all we had to do is just get all the girlfriends and the wives to come to all the meetings with the the men. And as long as she befriended the wives and the girlfriends, the girlfriends and the wives made sure that they were there at all the meetings. Mm -hmm. And then now there was no threat because now the girls, they were on the girl's side. Well, the moment she did, she dropped the weight, let hair grow out. Didn't need the glasses, got contacts, changed her whole thing, made more income, now looking her beautiful again. And it was really quite interesting. But she made herself as unattractive as possible to for a while, unconsciously, mm-hmm. until we uncover what the motives are. And we asked, so what's the benefit of looking the way you're doing? I don't know. I don't see any. What's the benefit of the way you're doing it? And then she's, well, I started, when did it start? Well, it started at this time. What was the motive? We figured out what it was by asking what were the benefits of that, because nobody will do something without an advantage over a disadvantage, no matter what it is. They won't do it. Mm -hmm. So when people say, I want to go and start saving money, if you don't have more advantages doing that than what you're doing, you're going to keep doing what you're doing. Because you got more advantages getting that dress now or getting those shoes now or going that nice dinner now than you do on the long term patience. You you, you don't see what compound interest will do. And Mm -hmm. so there's not enough benefit for you. So you're not doing it. Yeah, that's okay. That's interesting. What do you, there's so much talk out there about uh, mental rehearsal of the new identity or the new value system. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Like the the identity. Contrived. Contrived. You can say things and think you're going to reprogram the subconscious mind. I've seen all that stuff. Yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't, it doesn't have a place. Okay. It's just I'd rather go in there and I do a value determination, make a change in the values, do the value, value determination again, look at it, make sure it's congruent with what you say, and then you spontaneously use those languages. Got it. Not because you're contriving it and hoping for it, because right. saying something that doesn't match congruently what you value will be self-defeating. Totally. Yeah. So it's you basically it's like uh, this as easy, like for me, how I relate this to myself. For me, it's really easy to have this conversation. For me, it's really easy to read and teach what I read or what I learn about. So if I wanted to have a different set of values going through your programs and doing the kind of work that you do, then it would be just as easy to do this other to develop this other area. Absolutely. Ease versus the struggle or versus having to push the boulder up the hill. I had a gentleman who's in South Africa, also in South Africa, because I have an office there. So I'm there quite a uh, who was 37, almost 38. Okay. Had debt, quite a bit of debt. One of his businesses went under and he borrowed money and he was paying it off and he was just in debt. But he dreamed about being financially independent. I said, look, at we did his values. We saw how he was doing it. Business and finance were not up on the top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so I said, you know, you're, you're setting a goal that's not congruent with what you say you want. You, want. you know, they're not congruent with what, what your values are. Yeah. I said, so we either need to change the values 
to match what you say, or we need to change what you say to match what your values are. Because without congruence, there's no spontaneous action and incentive to keep moving. Yeah. So we did a value thing. It took six hours, six hours with him, privately consulting with him. And we redid his value structure. The way I knew it was changed is he immediately went over to where his bank was, got an investment company, and automated savings and investment structures. Mm. So that was the first thing he's ever done. He kept waiting for extra money to come in, and then he was going to save it. Right. So it was now automated. It was electronically done. And no matter what it was, it was just like a bill. An unexpected bill just paid it off. Yeah. So it was automated. We also set up his tax structure. So his taxes were paid spontaneously, weekly. His savings and investments were paid weekly. He had set up a, a depreciation account, a, a, an education account, you know, all these accounts for things that it was going to happen so they would not interfere with it. We mm-hmm. made sure we did some financial planning, but all in six hours, we'd revamped his values and structured this. Mm-hmm. He's worth 18 million now. Amazing. <laughs> 18 million, which is pretty damn good in 10 years. That's 10 years, 18 million. 10 years, six hours is what it took. Six Stein- hours to change yeah. his values. And he is. From before that, the only book he ever read on finances were on kind of esoteric books about financial prosperity, which is very ungrounded, very wishy-washy. But the moment he started to have the shift, he got serious about it, started prioritizing, got on Investopedia, started reading and and learning about it, got real serious books by Charles Ellis and started to follow Warren Buffett, started buying stock even in uh, Hathaway, you know, Berkshire Hathaway. And started to saving it and and structuring his life different. Eighteen million. Wow. Well, sign me up. In one in de- one decade. Now he's now relatively financially independent because eighteen is enough to kind of get you where you have a decent lifestyle. And I'm amazed at what he's done. He is on track. There's no doubt in my mind this little guy will hit a hundred million before he's done. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And the key, the key here though is ease, because yeah, spontaneous now. He he now knows we structured it where every time he raised, he wanted to raise his lifestyle, he just raised his savings and taxes equal amounts. So he had it structured. So he incrementally, as his cash, his passive income is going up and dividends are reinvested. He's now allowing himself just a little incremental more in, in lifestyle. So he's governed his lifestyle, accelerated his savings, Accelerate them way more. So now the lifestyle can go up and he will have a crescendoed lifestyle because he was patient mm-hmm. and perseverant and prioritized his, his money expenditures. If you see people that really value wealth building, they buy things that go up in value. Yeah. People that don't, they buy things that go down in value. Yeah. One gets rich, the rich get richer, the poor get poor. It's mm-hmm. a basic value structure. That's why the values are so important in human behavior and they underlie all the behaviors we have. That, wow. That's incredible. Okay. Well, I mean, what more can we say? 18 million in six hours over a decade. The six hours is the revamping of his value. Oh yeah. I'm giving him a strategy, but he's now for one decade progressively increased his savings and investments and built his business because we revamped business and finance higher on his value list. Yes. And the social and some of the things he had were less priorities. Because I told him, I said, well, how can you get paid to socialize? He goes, never thought that. I'm used to paying to socialize. Huh. Going out, spending money on alcohol, spending money on this. Right. Money. 
how do you get paid to do it? Well, networking. And then making sure he's prioritizing who he's socially hanging out with to make sure he's returning on his investment. And he's shifted his whole thinking. Yep. So now he's operating from a different value system. He's operating from a different identity that he's been wanting to tap into. So that's amazing. Yeah. And he's still socializing, but he's now prioritizing his social. You know, you you have you only have 24 hours a day. If you don't fill your day with high priority actions that inspire you, it fills up with low priority distractions that don't. If you don't fill your day with high priority people that help you fulfill the dreams, you get preoccupied by opportunists with different sets of values that try to distract you away from what your primary mission in life is. So it's about prioritization. And people who don't learn to prioritize are likely to be living by duty, not design. Totally. Yeah. Especially in today's world too, there's so much distractions that will just pull you into the low priority stuff. Not even low priority. It's like, you know, like pulling you out of into the matrix and outside of anything that means anything. Very cool. So before we um, finish up, I'm super curious, how did you end up on, tell us about the boat that you live on, uh, if you still do, because this is from years ago. And how did you get on it? What is it like? Uh, Which one of your values puts you on a boat traveling around the world? Okay. Um, I'm 18 years old. I was reading a book by Albert Einstein, a little book on Brownian movement, and another one he did on special relativity. Another one on the photoelectric effect. Because I asked my my mom, I said, you know, who's a genius? Because Paul Bragg told me every single day, say, I'm a genius and I apply my wisdom. So I said, okay, what's a genius? My mom said, well, people like Leonardo da Vinci and like Albert Einstein. So, well, then get me every book on those guys. Okay. So I'm reading this book and Albert Einstein says, I'm not a man of my family. I'm not a man of my community. I'm not a man of my city. I'm not a man of my state or my nation. I'm a citizen of the world. Mm-hmm. I wrote that down. I love that because I always wanted to travel the world. Yeah. So I wrote that down a little bit later, just a year or so later, I wrote down additional piece to go into to that one. The universe is my playground. The world is my home. Every country is a room in the house. And every city is a platform to share my heart and soul. So I wrote that out. And that's what I internally dialogued. Because I wanted to travel the world and teach. Mm-hmm. And research. Be a scholar. Mm-hmm. So I started saying that. Well, I've been saying that since 18. Okay. Yeah. And I'm 69 almost. So you can imagine the years that it's in there. By the time of 1999, I was living in New York. I was living in Trump Tower, right underneath the Donald. He was right above us. And I was at a little dental office, and, and, and I was reading a magazine, the Rob Report, sitting on the little table. And I saw an advertisement for this ship called The World that travels the world and goes to every country around the world where water is. Mm. And I thought, that's cool. But it only had 27% occupancy at the time. So I thought, it's a little risky, so I'll just keep an eye on this thing. And I ripped it out. You know how you do? You take them and put them in your pocket. Yep. <clears throat> Came home and showed my wife that she thought, that's cool. It kind of matches it. We're jet set gypsies. We like to travel all the time. So I folded it up and kept it with me. And then I kind of, kind of got busy. And then 2001 came. And 2001, 9-11 came. They shut down Trump Tower. I was on my way to to speak in Perth, literally on the way to Perth when it happened. And my wife was having breakfast that morning. And when she got back, the building was shut down. She wasn't allowed to go back in. So she had to get a helicopter to fly to Philly, to go to LA, to go to Australia, 
all under under private services because it was shut down. All the public was shut down. We get there to, to Australia. She gets there. We meet up. And she says, I don't want to be in, in, in New York for a while. I want to lay low from New York. It's a little weird there now. I said, well, I'm not scheduled to be speaking in Australia, but four times this year. So I'm not going to see you. Okay. And then all of a sudden, that very day, one of her best friends from Australia said, Mike's coming over. Mike has just been in Duranger, Norway, to meet up with this ship called The World to find out whether or not to buy on the ship. <clears throat> I said, you're kidding. I've got this information about it. Can we meet up? So I met up with this guy. He went and did all the due diligence, looked at all the financials, everything else. And the next day, I bought as an anniversary present for my wife the ship. And so there's a hundred of us that own the ship. It's mm-hmm. called The World. Okay. It's a magnificent. It's a six-star luxury yacht. It's the biggest yacht in the world, and it travels the world, and it's just phenomenal. So it's got 309 staff. It goes every imaginable port, wherever water can go, from the Antarctic to the Arctic, we go. We vote. We decide where we want to go. And we have educational experiences and expeditions. We even have Discovery Channel come on and do expeditions twice a year. And we're all participating in this. And it's an adventure. Nobel Prize winners come on and lecture. We have presidents and prime ministers. And they come on and we we, we hire them to educate us about what's going on in world events. Mm -hmm. It's the most amazing address going to the most amazing places for the most amazing people. Yeah. And so I've been blessed to be on there for this October will be 22 years since I purchased. Wow. That's amazing. So, um, and that's how you fit in all of your values into one, the, the, I would assume travel adventure. I, I, I teach research, write, And travel. That's it. Everything else is delegated. I I'm useless. I haven't driven a car in 33 years. Mm-hmm. I haven't cooked since I was 24. I have a concierge for taking care of travel. I've got the pilot. I've got everything is delegated to somebody specialist. Because I, I found out that if I do anything but my highest value, I devalue myself. So why bother? Why only why not stick to the thing that you can't wait to get up in the morning and do so you can you love your life? That's how you live an inspired life. That's what I try to teach people in the breaks experience and all the programs I do. Yeah. Because there's absolutely no reason why you can't do something extraordinary with your life. There's, you, you will never convince me you can't. It's just that you may not have navigated through and discovered the principles and the, the tools on how to do it. That's all. You do them in poor corporate and you get the same results as anybody else. That's right. Yep. Very cool. That's amazing. Like every little bit of the conversation we had the back, like, I hope everybody's taking notes or going back and listening to this conversation again, because I, I know I learned so much and I appreciate your time uh, with me here on this podcast. Um, I know you do virtual events and we'll put your website information, all of those links in the show notes. Uh, I know you also have live events coming up. Um, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way? The best way is just to go to drdmartini.com, my website. It's an educational website. Or go on to the Demartini Show, which is a podcast kind of collection, and um, take advantage of whatever there is. Because there's, if you've been on the website, you know it's just loaded with material. On the media yeah. section, there's, I've done nine thousand interviews. <laughs> there's thousands of interviews, and there's there's audios and videos and magazine articles and blogs and you know, everything that's out there. You know how it is. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it, it, it can keep you busy. You're going to have to believe in reincarnation just to be able to keep up with it because you won't be able to read it all in your, in your own life. You'll have to come back. Yes. And you've done a great job distributing it all across the platform. So I know uh, I'm on your Instagram and Facebook, like uh, Dr. DiMartini is everywhere. So 
Um, definitely go and immerse yourself in uh, all of his wisdom. Again, thank you so much for uh, being here with me. And thank you everyone for listening in and tuning in. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and got some applicable nuggets to quantum leap your life and your practice. Be sure to subscribe to this channel and be the first to know when we release our next guest here on Secret Lives of Chiropractors. Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Nona Javid, D-J-A-V-I-D, to keep up with my not-so-secret life. And um, check out Elevate Club at www.elevate.me, and Elevate is spelled E-L-I-V-A-T-E. We'll see you at the next episode.